Harvest New Beginnings Church is located in Oswego, Illinois. We exist for God's glory alone, encouraging each other to have a deep love for God and a sincere love for people. This message is brought to you by a special guest. Good morning. So good to see all of you here this morning. I'm not Pastor Scott. <laughs> I'm Van. For those of you who are also joining us online today, we welcome you. We just love to um, know that you're joining us uh, this morning. So let us pray. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for this opportunity in order to preach your word. And uh, Father, your love is immeasurable and it is indeed strong. I now decrease and heavenly Father, increase in me that your word will go forth unimpeded. Open our eyes that we now may behold the wonderful things from your law. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. In 1967, there was a song written by John Lennon. It was sung by the Beatles, and the title of the song was All You Need Is Love. Some of you may remember that song, right? It went what? All you need is love, love, love. All you need is what? Is love. Everyone is looking for love. This search for love is around us every day and in the music we hear and the movies we watch, we've even created a whole day for it. It's Valentine's Day and it's February 14th. Created to focus, to receive, and to give love. The desire is woven into the fiber of our being. One of our greatest needs as human beings is to be loved. We all need love. We need to know that we're important to somebody, that somebody truly cares about us, wants us, accepts us unconditionally. We all need love. And we also need to be loved. If everyone, my friends, if all of us have the same need, then there must be a universal solution. And that solution is in God. Because 1 John 4 and 16 says, God is love. You see, you and I have love. There's a difference between having love and God being loved. You see, we can give it, we can receive it, we can fill it. You see, to have something means it can change. Rather, it be a house, a car, it can be wealth, it can be health. But in order for something to actually be something, it cannot change. That is why the Bible says that God is love. It is an attribute of God. It is his nature to love. So often we see on television or in movies these pagan gods and who are angry and hateful, they're cold, they're indifferent, but that's not the God that we serve. God is not up in heaven, my friends, waiting for us to mess up so he can zap us with the lightning bolt. Psalms 133 says, if you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? In other words, if God were to hold and keep record of our iniquities, our sins, the things that we've done, the things we're doing, and the things that we will do, it says that you and I cannot stand. You and I would not even be here this morning. 
if that was the case. Love comes from God and God is love. Blaise Pascal, he's a mathematician and a philosopher from the 1600s, actually 1632. He's often quoted as saying, there's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every person who cannot be filled by any created thing, but only by God, the creator. You see, God's love is that perfection, my friends, in his divine nature by which he actively moves to communicate himself. That's who he is, and God wants us to see that love. God has already communicated that love. So, how do we see God's love? First of all, we see God's love seen in his creation of us. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, and Genesis 1:31. It says, then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over this cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Verse 31 says, God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Isn't it good to know that God don't make no junk? I mean, it is. Psalms 139, verse 14 says, I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. And even Job said, the Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Suzanne Donahue, she wrote this wonderful poem, and it's entitled, God Don't Make No Junk. Allow me to read this for you. It says, your birthday comes only once in the year, but we are hoping for more, hoping that remembering the fun you had this year will flick into your mind every day until the next. No reason to be blue, as wonderful as you, and don't say I lie, cause I don't. There are things about you like no one else. God made sure that and pressed his thumbprint on your forehead to make sure everyone knew you were his gift to the world right here, right now, and just in time for the best part. How do I know this? A stranger to you? Because God don't make no junk. You see, when God created us, his love did not just only stop there. And it did not only stop in his creation of us, my friends. He loves us so much that he wants to be involved with every intricate details in our lives. So much so that he decided to live in us. He decided to dwell in us. First Corinthians 3.16 says that, do you not know that you are a temple of God? and that the Spirit of God dwells in you. And yet, if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes we doubt. We doubt that we're really loved at all. We may develop unacceptable behavior patterns to compensate for it. For example, we may act irresponsibly in a desperate attempt to get attention. 
Attention is a poor substitute, my friends, for love, and yet something, it seems better than nothing at all. Sometimes we act irresponsibly. We may develop physical symptoms that could bring us sympathy and concern. The symptoms cause us genuine, genuine pain, but the pain of sickness is more bearable than the pain of admitting that nobody cares. We may even angrily lash out at those whom we think should care. We all need to know that somebody loves us and that that love is unconditional. Romans 8, 38 and 39, it says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. But that says, my friends, is that we can rest on the certainty of his love. You see, God is not in heaven sitting in a bunch of daisies and he just pluck up a daisy and I love him, I love him not. Oh, I love her, I love her not. That's not the God we serve because God's love is immutable. It doesn't change because that's his nature, it's his attribute. Not even angels or demons, my friends, can do anything about it. Not even the future or any powers, your sins, and failures, it cannot change God's love for you. It cannot. And yet we struggle to comprehend God's love. Why? Because of our human experiences. The world has conditioned us to compare and compete. We fear of being ostracized, being put aside, unwanted, unappreciated. We have been conditioned throughout our lives to measure love by what we do and how well we do it. Our love is conditioned, unfortunately, by ifs and because. I love you if you do this. Or I love you because, and you can fill in the blanks. And so we can hardly imagine a love without conditions or expectations, and we need to convince ourselves, my friends, that we are loved by God despite, despite, Despite our failures, despite how we look, and despite our sins, God will still love us. The truth is, even if you have nothing to offer to God, even if you've never done anything, God loves you. He loves you just as you are. Max Licato, in his book, A Gentle Thunder, he writes, God's love never ceases, never Though we spurn him, ignore him, reject him, despise him, disobey him, we will not change, or he will not change. Our evil cannot diminish his love. Our goodness cannot increase it. Our faith does not earn it any more than our stupidity jeopardizes it. God doesn't love us less if we fail or more if we succeed. God's love never ceases. Even in Edmund Chan, he quotes it this way. He says, you have nothing to prove you have nothing to lose and nothing to hide. God loves, my friend. His love will never change. And when we honestly believe that we are loved and accepted by God, we no longer have to strive to make a good impression or try to score points with God or anybody else. You are always, you are 
always highly favored, deeply loved, and forever blessed. So let's rest in that, and let's enjoy that. Let's accept that, that the Almighty loves you, and he loves me, and he loves all of us. John 3.16 even says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. There's a song that represents that very well. And it goes something like this. It goes like Jesus went to Calvary to save a wretch like you and me. It says that's love. That's love. They hung him high. They stretched him wide. He hung his head for me and you. He died. That's love. That's love. But that's not how the story ends, the Bible says. Because in three days he rose again. That's love. That indeed is love. So God's love is seen in his creation. God's love is also seen in putting us in a right relationship with him. If you have your Bibles, let's just look at it quite quick uh, in Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 and... It goes like this. It says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand and we exalt in hope of the glory of God. Verse 3. And not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulations, Knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance and perseverance proven character and proven character hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, though through whom we have now received the reconciliation. God sending his son to die for our sins places us in a right relationship with him. And if you and I believe that, then you and I have been what's called justified. Meaning it's the act of God in which he places believers in a true and right relationship to himself. And so therefore, Paul says, since you and I who have been justified, it says we have now peace with God. We have peace with God. So, so not only is it um, a benefit of salvation, but justification also gives us peace with God. Now, you have to understand that before we were justified, that you and I were enemies of God. Oh, absolutely. But now we have peace with God because now God doesn't see our sins. He doesn't keep records of that. It's almost like, I uh, remember when I was a kid, right? Uh, my mother had this figurine 
I mean, it was, it was beautiful, and she loved it. It was, you know, one of those crystal or glass kind of figurines. And she used to keep it in the, um, this glass um, uh, cabinet, I guess, by the window. And so one day, my parents were out at the store, and so I decided, okay, I didn't have any more figures to fight with my action figures, right? <laughs> and ladies, they are action figures, okay? So, so I took, I don't know if it was Captain America or who it was, but so I said, oh, okay, that's a good uh, enemy form. <laughs> so I got the figurine out of the cabinet, and you could have guessed what happened next, right? It, it broke. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. I got so afraid. I was so scared. And so, you know, I tried to put it back together and, you know, lo and behold, it just wouldn't work. And I'm trying to think, oh, when she gets back, she's going to be so angry because she loved this thing to death. And so I said, okay, well, maybe I can open up the window, right? The curtains start blowing the wind in and maybe they'll think that the wind blew it over. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. So anyhow, by the time I thought that maybe they'll be back, so, you know, you know, I mean, kids, we all can recognize this. We go to bed, pretend like we sleep. And so I did that, and do you know what? When they got in, they did not wake me up. They did not, you know, give me a spanking. They actually didn't say anything. That's what justification is. God doesn't remember those things. When you and I come to faith through Jesus Christ, that he died for our sins, as far as the east is from the west, he removes those sins from you. It gives us peace with God. Now, not peace of God. That's a little bit different, right? There's a text in Philippians, another sermon that explains that peace of God. And yet... We know that we cannot have the peace of God until we first have the peace with God. So, how is that seen today? How is that not having peace with God seen today, and even peace of God? Well, you see, man rebelled against God and decided to take life into his own hands, and ever since the fall, mankind have determined to rule themselves and ignore the Creator. That's why we have so much unrest and and fighting and and all those things that permeate our lives and the things we've seen on television lately. And, you know, everybody talks about peace, but if it's up to mankind alone, peace will never happen. The Global Peace Index report in 2018, it highlights 92 countries Deteriorating from 2016 to 2017, battle deaths have risen steadily over the last 10 years, increasing by 264%. The report states that both Europe and North America became less peaceful with 23 out of 36 countries in Europe worsening. Even in our own personal lives, my friends, sometimes we have trouble with, you know, friends and loved ones. It reminds me of that scene in The Wizard of Oz, you know, when Dorothy poured the, I don't know if it was water or if it was acid or whatever it was. I remember when the witch, you know, just started melting and melting. And right before, right before she melted into the floor, she said these famous words. She says, 
Oh, what a world. What a world. Isn't that what we're living in today? Oh, what a world. There's no peace with God. There's no peace of God. But justification gives us that peace with God, which subsequently results in the peace of God. What else does justification brings to us? It results in joy during trials. In verse 3, not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, it says hope. Tribulation, the trials in our lives, the trouble that you and I go through, it brings about perseverance. In other words, a steadfastness, the ability to remain, under, to remain tough under times, under pressure, not giving in. And then it says perseverance brings about proven character. In other words, it gives us integrity. So there is a result. There is a goal in the trials that you and I face. But you know what? This is easy said than done. You know, we can read the text here. You know, we can read the text over in James, you know, where it tells us, you know, to count it all joy when we face, you know, various trials and all that and so forth. But it's hard. It's hard. You know, even some of the greatest servants of God in the Bible had trials and it was very hard for them. I mean, Habakkuk the prophet, he could not understand why God was seemingly allowing all the Chaldeans to get away with their sin and why there was so much violence and brutality. Even Job lived through darkness and was perplexed. He wanted to argue with God and demanded to understand. Job did not understand, but God understood. John the Baptist was a mighty prophet. Yet King Herod imprisoned John the Baptist. John the Baptist was so perplexed in prison that he began to wonder if Jesus was the Messiah. The Apostle Paul wrote more books in the New Testament than anyone else. Some claim Paul was the greatest Christian who ever lived. Yet he endured many trials and afflictions. So whatever happens, whether good or bad, my friends, we recognize that God allows it for a reason. And we should rejoice in our trials, it says in James 1, 2, and 4. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But let me point something out. It says in it does not say to rejoice in the trial themselves. You rejoice in what the trial is going to produce. You know, somebody who's, you know, rejoicing the trials themselves, it's like a person going to the doctor and getting a shot, right? So you don't tell the doctor, oh, that feels so good. Give me another one. You know, matter of fact, ah, ah, that doesn't suffice. I tell you what, go get a larger needle. Oh, that, that, that feels so good. No, no, you don't do that. You have to understand that you have to rejoice in what that injection is producing via the needle, not necessarily the pain of the needle. So how do we endure? How do we handle the pain during these trials? Well, first of all, we handle them through prayer. God should be the first person that you and I go to whenever we're facing difficulties in our lives. And you and I should be very, very honest with God when we pray. 
You know, sometimes we, we pray to God and, and we, we say these, you know, just these glorious, majestic, you know, word-perfect prayers and all that and so forth and so on. No, you can come to God and tell him just how you feel. You can say, dear God, I say, Lord, look. He says, I'm coming to you. I, I, I'm miserable. I, I don't like this. God, I, I, you said you're going to take care of me. You said you're going to take care of my family. This isn't working. If you don't do something now, I'm not going to be able to stand. Help me. Help me now. You can pray your feeling. Lord, I'm angry with you. I'm disappointed in you. I'm saddened. I'm depressed because I thought this was going to work out. This is what you promised me, Lord. You can pray like that. You say, well, how do I know? That's how the psalmist prayed. That's why I love the psalms, because the psalms is life. And so it's okay to pray that way. We can tell a spouse, we can tell a friend, and we can also worship. Oh, one of the greatest things in the world you can do is worship when you're going through things. And I encourage you to get a, um, a worship book, a hymnal, or you know, a few into your personal libraries and homes so that it, you know, when you're going through things, just open it up and just sing to God. Or either you know, get your um, smart devices and just late at night when everybody's asleep, just get to yourself and just sing. Sing those praises. Oh, you would be amazed, amazed how the love of God will just permeate you. And although the trials may not go away at the time, you definitely will feel better and you'll be strengthened for another day. God also revealed his love to us while we were yet sinners. Verses 8 and 9. It says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. What that says is that when you and I were not even thinking about God, he was thinking about you. Let me say that again. When you and I were not thinking about God, he was thinking about you. Why? Because he loves you. While we were going about our lives, before we came to know him through his son, Jesus Christ, I mean, let's be honest, we all know what we were doing, right? We weren't thinking about God. We were rebellious against God. Although we may have known of God or a God, but we did not know the true God. So we lived life as if there was no tomorrow. But God says that even while you and I were doing that, he was still thinking about us. He was still loving us. And so while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And what happened is that at that point we were reconciled back to God. That broken relationship that happened during the fall of mankind was now placed back together because it tells us that we are now reconciled with him. Verses 10 through 11. He reconciled us through the death of Christ. He saved us through the life of Christ. So we see that God's love is seen through him creating us. God's love is seen through him justifying us. 
And lastly, my friends, God's love is seen even in our future. In heaven, John 14, 2 and 3, Jesus says, I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Oh, God is so great. As we read in Genesis 1, if you read Genesis 1 and 2, what you're going to find there is that first God creates the heaven and the earth, right? He forms it. He puts everything in it. And right when everything was perfect, that's when he created mankind. It's like a terrarium. He makes sure everything is there first. Everything that we need is there first. And then he puts us there. Jesus says that he's going to heaven to prepare even a place for us there. But we don't talk about the future much. Our modern, generous lifestyles can cause us to focus on the here and now. You know, I mean, in technology, right, we have the laptops and smartphones and GPS. We're all connected together. And there's nothing wrong with that because if we did not have technology, you know, our good friends who are watching us won't be able to even see us or even join in with us. So we're grateful for these things. Of course, we have, you know, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, keep in touch, virtual reality. Even in the food, right? We have ready-made meals, instant grits, instant oatmeal, potatoes, juice boxes, specialized restaurants. And not even to mention that the items can be delivered. So because life has gotten so convenient, it can cause us to get distracted from the fact that this world is in its last days. So we let up and even forget that God wants us to do something in this life. We even forget his love for us because we sometimes use these earthly things in order to feel a love that these earthly things cannot feel. So let's not get distracted. Let's stay focused. I mean, God, he's the one. He's in love or he's loved. What else will happen as it relates to God's love? See, in our future, we're going to get new bodies. Oh, man, what a blessing that is. I mean, most folks are not happy with the bodies. I mean, look, I, I can use a less roughage here and a little bit more up here. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I, you know, I mean, these bodies, we're not going to have them anymore. That's why, my friends, the appearance industry today, I mean, they're never going to go out of business, Right. You know, I mean, if you notice most of the commercials today, what we see is that we see commercials on what? On our appearance, either gyms, either cosmetics, clothes, you know, those kinds of things. Those things that make us look good, but God doesn't look at the outside. He looks at the inside. So what God is doing is that he's trying to show us that his love is complete, meaning that his love can be seen not only in terms of how he created this beautiful earth, but what it's also going to be like in heaven. God's love is real. Indeed, it's real, my friends. And God's love is seen in creating us. God's love is seen in justifying us. God's love is seen also in securing our futures. It helps us to bear life here on earth without losing heart. Like Paul, we realize that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. 
Romans 8, 18. I want you to remember that the only trouble and pain that you'll ever experience will occur during your life here on earth. But the joy in heaven will be yours forever. Remember that your present now, your present destination is not your final outcome. Let me read to you your final outcome in Revelation 21, verses 1 through 7. It's up also on the screen. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, then there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, behold, I'm making all things new. And he said, right, for these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. He who overcomes will inherit these things. And this is what I love. It says, and I will be his God and he will be my son. I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man, my friends, the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Don Moen wrote this beautiful song. It goes, think about his love. Think about his goodness. Think about his grace that's brought us through. For as high as the heavens above, so great is the measure of our Father's love. Great is the measure of our Father's love. So great is the measure of our Father's love. God is love. God is love. So if some of you are here today, you may not be feeling loved. Your heart may be aching. You don't know what to do. Let me encourage you to drive away those tears. Ask God to mend your heart. Lift up your head from those tears and keep lifting your head up and lift it up to heaven and know that God loves you. Even if no one else does, or even if you feel as if no one else does. There are some of you this morning who may not know Jesus Christ as your personal savior. If you do not, you're not gonna be justified. You're not gonna be able to experience the peace of God. You're not even gonna experience heaven. And so what I would like for you today is to repeat after me. And those who are here today, if you would bow your heads and if you would pray for those. Those of you who are online, just repeat after me and say, Dear God, I realize that I am a sinner now, that I rebelled against you. Dear God, I do not know you, but now I realize that Jesus Christ died for my sins. And now, Father, I believe that. 
I trust that he died for my sins. Did God save me? I want to come to heaven. I believe that now, what Jesus did. Amen. If you've been prompted by this message and are in need of a new beginning, or would like more information about Harvest New Beginnings, visit at harvest.church.